Hi, this is Arthur Pearson, a volunteer at Medewa National Tallgrass Prairie. You are listening to Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in three, two, and one. I worry that my kids aren't going to share my values and that they're never going to eat any vegetables, <laughs> ever. Just eat one f-ing vegetable. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> that off my chest. <sighs> the other night, my 10-year-old threw up the two bites of quinoa that I made him eat. <laughs> yes. I looked at my older son. I said, see, that's what it takes to get out of eating your dinner. (laughs) That level of commitment. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Good planets are in the Right, right, right. Right. And welcome to the show. Hello, everybody, and all the folks watching us on the various streaming media and listening to us on various streaming audio and even AM and FM radio. I hope you're all having uh, a great day. We have uh, a terrific show for you today. We're talking farmers markets. We're talking uh, we're talking community gardens later on. And uh, what is happening in the city of Chicago that is making it very, very difficult for uh, urban farms and community gardens to do their own work and grow things. Uh, But today we start the program because we have just entered into uh, National Farmers Market Week. There we go, which gets a ding. And so we, <laughs> we bring back some folks to the show, a very serious Jonathan Pereira there, um, and um, uh, not so serious uh, uh, Janie Maxwell. Janie is the executive director of the Illinois Farmers Market Association. Uh, she has been on the show before. In fact, we talked in May about what farmers markets were doing to prepare to open in a COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and we're going to talk about some of that today because uh, markets have opened. I went to a farmer's market for the first time last Sunday, and it was an interesting experience. I'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, we also have the very serious, okay, now he's smiling, Jonathan Ferrer, <laughs> um, who's the executive director of Plant Chicago on Chicago's south side. 
And uh, they have their own farmer's market, which uh, we're going to talk about in just a second. Uh, but we're going to start by going out to Lincoln, Nebraska, to uh, a friend of mine, Gary Fair, who's uh, with Green School Farms. Uh, is, is that indeed the name? You're going to have to unmute yourself there, Gary. Um, is that the name of your farm? Do you call yourself? Or, or do you, or, whoa, okay. <laughs> are you there? I am. I'm sorry for the noise. People are driving in, setting up. So uh, That's okay, because you're at a farmer's market in Lincoln, Nebraska. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, yeah, the name of the farm is Green School Farms. Uh, besides selling a market, we uh, are trying to work with local schools and get some healthy food into their cafeterias. And uh, so that's, uh, that's, that's one of our passions as well, to, to get kids to learn about where their food comes from, learn about what's important in their food, and uh, learn to appreciate it. Well, we're going to start with you because you're at the farmer's market. You've brought your produce to the market, and you have to set up and go at 10 a.m. So right. I decided that let's, let's jump off into this conversation with Gary because um, he's on site already, um, and he's in a different state from uh, our state of Illinois. And I'm kind of curious about what ha- farmer's markets have been like in this age of COVID. Yeah, so that's a great question, and um, we weren't even sure that this mar- this is a popular market in Lincoln, and we weren't even sure this year that it was going to be able to open because of COVID, and what were the social distancing guidelines on something, open-air event like this, but uh, the market did an awesome job of, of getting everything set up and re- rearranged so it's safe uh, for, for both the vendors and the customers. So um, w- they, they've done things like d- spaced out the uh, booths, double distance from what they were before. Uh, we use rope uh, barriers to keep the customers, you know, safely away from the tables of produce. We, uh, we all have to wear masks. Um, of course, I'm not wearing it right now because I'm talking. But um, so, so those are some of the things we're doing and um, foot traffic in one direction, those types of things. So, yeah, we are able, we're, we're open. We've been open since uh, end of March or end of May. Are, and are those uh, uh, guidelines still in place, the one-way traffic? Uh, especially yeah. I went to a farmer's market on Sunday that actually had two-way traffic. It was kind mm. of an interesting. Uh, uh, yeah. Like I said, I'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, you're, you're still sticking to the guidelines you started with. Right. Yeah. And every market is a little bit different. It's all governed by, you know, local uh, recommendations and, you know, what the board decides is safe and, you know, that type of thing. So what would you say has been the response of folks this year? What's what is your feeling as a vendor and how do you think people are responding to having open farmers markets? Well, you know, I mean, I think for the most part, uh, everybody has been really understanding and supportive and they recognize that this is a situation none of us like. Um, You know, we would love to have it like it was last year. But um, the reality is, you know, we have to do what we have to do. And so everybody um, cooperates. Um, Sales, uh, sales are kind of unpredictable because of um, in some cases, people buy more of some things, and in other cases, the, the traffic is maybe not as, as, you know, the foot traffic is not as heavy some weeks. But uh, so it's like everything else in our world, COVID has just thrown a wrench into things, and 
and we're all just trying to deal with it, you know, as best we can. You mentioned to me the other day that you were doing some experimenting with online sales, um, mm -hmm. and uh, for a while that it was actually pretty good. Tell me about that experience. Right. So a couple things that were, were different this year is um, in the spring, before the, a lot of the produce gets going, I do a lot of gardening plant sales. So people want to buy tomato plants, pepper plants, cucumbers for their gardens. What we saw was that this year there was a huge spike in, in sales in that because, uh, you know, and I, I'm assuming people wanted to, you know, what their reasons were is that they wanted to um, have something to do that uh, they could do with their kids and stay at home and be safe. And so saw a huge spike in those sales. Um, but we also then we did want to shift to, to providing online sales as well. Um, and that was uh so we set up a website, people can pre-order and they can come to the market and pick up or we offer a $5, you know, home delivery charge. Uh, we'll drop it at their door for no contact delivery. So yeah, just, just some things and, and other, other vendors are doing similar things. So uh, it's been, right. you know, been interesting. So what is your bottom line? How, how has that been this year? Bottom line? Um, I would say it's, it's probably down. Um, there, there are other factors, um, in it as well. Just, uh, my, my business plan for this year, I was going to make some changes anyway. So some of that, some variables might be at play here, but, um, it, it's down, but you know, like I said, some things were surprisingly went really well. Okay. So, uh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that yeah, and, you're, bit, and, yeah. and, and you're getting by. Right. Right. Okay. All right. I'm going to ask you to mute because I, I can hear yep. stuff going on in the background. <laughs> yep. We'll yep. get back. We'll get back to you. That's Gary Fair uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska, with Green School Farms. Uh, he also helps donate food to. Uh, we can do this. We feed the kids at F Street Community Center every weekend. That's another project that he's involved in. Oh, good. He's show us. Yeah, uh, Gary. While you're doing this, give us some shots of the. Uh, the produce and the market with the sound off. And that's great. Um, we have a couple of minutes here before we break and we'll, there'll be plenty of time for everybody here today. So let's go to Janie. Uh, what Gary was talking about. And again, Janie is the executive director of the Illinois farmers market association. Welcome back to the show. Uh, is what Gary's describing pretty much what you're hearing in Illinois and other States. Uh, you need to unmute. You need to unmute. Yes. Um, what Gary is describing is is what we're seeing in Illinois. We're seeing area by area adopt their own level of regulation. For example, the city of Chicago still has very strict regulations in place for shopping at a farmer's market, whereas you go to different parts of the state, you may see that things are just a little bit more relaxed, uh, depending on what the local rules and the local jurisdictions uh, are recommending. But really, we were pushing back to just get markets open. That was the really big deal. And so deeming market farmers markets as essential, food access points was really the key in getting farmers markets open. So a lot of markets have adopted the model that, you know, instead of that great community gathering place that we all love, they really are selling essential products, food and related things. And that's really their business model for this season. Get people in, get people out keep the vendors, keep the customers safe as possible, and make sure that the farmer has a place to actually sell their product. Have okay. all of the markets in Illinois opened? Uh, or... not a, Peggy, time to break. 
we will uh, get to uh, uh, that question uh, when we come back. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki talking to Janie Maxwell, Jonathan Pereira, and Gary Fair about farmers markets. Uh, and we'll have more when we return. We continue to live in interesting and challenging times. As we've learned over the past few months, something as important as tree care can be made much more difficult by unexpected events like the COVID-19 pandemic. Bartlett Tree Experts understands that and has made safety their number one consideration. But that's not surprising because safety has always been their number one concern and will continue to be their concern as we move into the next phases of this crisis. Something else we've learned over this time is that people love their trees and from a safe distance have been eager to talk to Bartlett Arborist representatives, whether from the safety of their porch or through a window or over the phone. They also know that Bartlett can make outside areas safer from ticks, which are having a banner year thanks to a mild winter. Bottom line, the folks at Bartlett Tree Experts want to say thank you to their customers for loving trees and understanding that every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Collective Resource Compost wants to show you how they make composting easy in Chicagoland. You can reduce greenhouse gas emissions by diverting food scraps from landfills. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Composting is what nature would do if we just got out of her way. Learn how easy it is to divert waste at your home, school, or workplace. Go to collectiveresource.us. Since 2001, DiveHeart has been revolutionizing rehabilitation using zero gravity and scuba therapy to give confidence, independence, self-esteem, and yes, freedom to children, veterans, and others with disabilities. At DiveHeart, we believe in the power of partnership because together we can do great things. Let DiveHeart help you imagine the possibilities in your life. Go to DiveHeart.org to learn more. Hey everyone, this is Peggy, and I'm here to tell you about Natural Awakening Chicago Magazine, your independent go-to resource for everyday wellness. Natural Awakenings is still the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. For more than 10 years, we've been at the leading edge of healthy living, helping you find ideas and trusted resources to lead a more fulfilled and sustainable lifestyle. Each month, we go beyond the trends to take a fresh look at food and nutrition, wellness, personal growth, and green living. Natural Awakenings includes great articles for parents about raising healthy kids, too, as well as ideas for your sustainable home and garden. And if you like good food, you'll love our tasty recipes and meal ideas, from plant-based and gluten-free options to healthy versions of classic recipes and even lunches your kids will love. Natural Awakenings is available throughout the city as well as Suburban Cook, DuPage, Lake, and McHenry Counties, and it's free. Or read it online at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. What does the farmer say? Work, 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 work. Work, 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 work. What does the farmer say? Yep, 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 What does the farmer say? Alright, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And we know what the farmer says is work, 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 work. As Jonathan knows, as Gary knows. Uh, that's Jonathan Ferreira uh, from Plant Chicago, Gary Fair from uh, Green School Farms. He's in Lincoln, Nebraska. And if you're 
watching live on the YouTube stream. I'm sorry, the used tubes stream or the Facebook. The, the used? Used or is that used? Uh, it, it, today it's used. <laughs> used tubes and uh, the face block. Um, he's out there at the market in uh, Lincoln. And Janie Maxwell, executive director of the Illinois Farmers Market Association. Uh, Janie, uh, Peggy had a really good question uh, during the break about how many farmers markets are open right now. Did they all get open pretty much in Illinois? Uh, I wish that was the case, but uh, unfortunately, a number of markets have determined that this is, there are too many challenges that um, whether it's in staffing or again, many of our smaller markets are run completely by volunteers, uh, that the requirements of running a market during COVID were just too big for that particular market. Uh, We have a running list. It's 25. uh, It's probably more than that. Uh, But what there was at the beginning was a significant delay in market openings. And so some markets still say they're delayed and are looking for an August open. Uh, But that's concerning, especially as the season, um, you know, is peaking. We want to make sure that the producers have an opportunity to get their product to a market right now. Jonathan, you're a market that's open uh, on the south side of Chicago. Tell us a little bit about your market and the challenges you had this year. We uh, uh, Plant Chicago's market um, opened up in a new location at Davis Square Park on the southwest side of Chicago, and we were actually the first market to get licensed and opened by the city. So we opened um, the first Saturday in June, um, and like many markets are facing this conundrum of, you know, in the past, you're like, we want to get as many people here as possible to support these farmers and their operations. Uh, but at the same time this year, dealing with, well, we don't want too many people all at the same time. So we tempered our opening and really actually um, just through our newsletter and social media challenges says, please, um, if you're not, if you don't live near us, um, just hang off for a little bit until we kind of get this uh, under control right now. Um, I think we're, we're definitely ready, um, like many markets are, to, to host a lot more people. We have... Um, also just really been focused on the Southwest side. So we are link matching. We're matching produce for anyone who has matching dollars for anybody who has link cards. And what, 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 are link, so, what are link cards, Jonathan, for our listeners? Yep. Link cards are SNAP benefits um, in the state of Illinois. So in sports food, um, which many people are through the federal government comes on, in Illinois, it's called the, the link card. So you get a card with benefits on it to help purchase food. Um, so in Illinois, when you have a link card, um, you can, you know, you're spending it for food. But mm-hmm. the challenge with that, especially with farmers markets, is that uh, most farmers can't take it or don't take it or the application process is difficult to get it. Um, uh, if you are using it at a typical grocery store, you're not getting access to local, locally grown in-season produce is still coming from very far away generally. So a farmer's market is often the only spot where many residents, especially in urban environments, mm-hmm. can, can get access to locally grown produce. Are you getting uh, a lot of link traffic in there or is that something you're you're really trying to push? We're really trying to push, we're getting more. So we, we just relaunched our market in a new location. Um, and focusing on that. But yes, we're getting more steadily every week. We're parallel to that because we recognize that 
there are people who didn't want to come into social settings with a lot of a lot of different people. We're offering um, a link produce box on an alternate day outside of our, our market and partnering with uh, the Urban Canopy um, and essentially offering that produce box, which is filled with locally grown produce, to uh, for half off for link customers. So they can come pick up a produce box during the week for contactless uh, transactions. That's that's a great uh, a great program. Uh, let's talk to Gary because then we're going to let him go in just a couple of minutes. Uh, is there a similar thing in uh, Nebraska uh, with the SNAP uh, program? Yeah, I mean at the market we have a couple different covered in ways uh, that that works. We have the SNAP coupons, and we also have a, a token program that uh, uh, you know under. Uh, underserved people that they they can get access to tokens and use them as cash at the at the booths. So yeah, great programs. So uh, before we uh, let you go today, um, what did you bring today? What do you like uh, that you're growing? Uh, how, <laughs> how how how's the growing season going for you, Gary? Uh, the growing season has some really. It, it's been really well. Um, there's been, I mean, the tomatoes, the peppers, the cucumbers have been ready earlier than I ever <laughs> remember, and and. I wish I could take credit for some sort of <laughs> expertise there, but Mother Nature just, you know, was was worked well this year. So uh, today I've got some sweet corn. I've got some potatoes. Uh, I've got uh, cherry tomatoes are always popular. I've got Persian style cucumbers, which are a mini snacking cucumber. Those those uh, mm-hmm. sell really well. And then you know onions, uh, regular cucumbers, zucchini, tomatoes. Uh, yeah, lots of good stuff. Uh, and before we let you go uh tell us a little bit about this uh we can do this we feed the kids at f street right so you know i mean right now we're all concerned you know about um all of the 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 different types of you know systemic oppression in our in our society that we're having difficult conversations about and and part of that is you know for for me as a farmer is food justice and how can we get food to people that really need it who might otherwise not be able to afford it uh, a great program at one of the rec centers in town um, is called We Can Do This, and it's a program that um, you know I've been donating food to. Uh, and what they do is they prepare meals and or distribute the produce to send home with kids who might otherwise not have you know access to nutritious meals. So it's a wonderful program, and um, just one of I mean, there's seven, many programs like that in this area, but uh, food justice is near and dear to my heart. Gary, thank you so much. It, you're right. It's a kind of a minor miracle that we got you on live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you yeah. so much and continued good luck. Uh, and thanks for your good work. We'll be back with Jonathan Ferreira and Janie Maxwell right after this break. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Please stick around. The folks at Blazing Star know that good soil biology means good soil. That's why they sell products from trusted industry leader Tinyo that contain more than 30 species of beneficial bacteria and fungi chosen for their critical roles in soil and plant health. In other words, whether you're a farmer or a backyard gardener, they help you grow the life in your soil so your soil can grow your plants. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. Mosquitoes transmit deadly diseases like Zika and West Nile virus, but Summit Mosquito Dunks kill mosquitoes before they're old enough to bite. Just float an organic mosquito dunk in ponds, bird baths, and any standing water to kill mosquito larvae for 30 days or longer. 
don't worry, Mosquito Dunks won't harm people, pets, fish, or wildlife. Mosquito Dunks, available at fine garden centers, hardware stores, and online. Visit SummitResponsibleSolutions.com. You can reduce your household garbage 30% by the simple act of composting. But I live in a condo or an apartment, you say. Well, if you're in the Chicago area, contact Collective Resource Compost. They give you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote if you're working with your community. You fill it with food scraps, they swap it out on a regular schedule, and voila! You're returning organic matter back to the soil instead of creating harmful methane in a landfill. Go to collectiveresource.us. They make composting easy. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. If you're looking for something to literally spice up a meal, look no further than Backyard Patch Herbs. They grow, harvest, dry, and blend their herb mixes. And they're chemical-free. No gluten, no salt, and no preservatives. Dips, dressings, rubs, cooking mixes, soup mixes, herbal teas, and more. Use the code MIKE10 and get 10% off your purchase. Go to BackyardPatch.com or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at MikeNovak.net. You want to install a solar energy system for your home, but you're afraid you'll be overwhelmed by choices and jargon. You need to talk to our friends at Albright Solar. Albright Solar offers a boutique, hands-on approach to your situation. They know the ins and outs of local solutions. They take the confusion out of the process and make solar simple, giving you the confidence to enjoy your investment. Harness the power of the sun. Go to albright.solar or call 773-887-6446. Slug by slug, weed by weed, boy this garden's got me teed. All the insects come to feed in my tomato plants. Sunburned fades. Thank you, Arlo Guthrie. The insects don't come to feed on mine. I believe the squirrels are. And, um... And and in the segment after this, Peggy, you and I are going to have a little chat about critters that come after your plants in in the backyard. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking to Janie Maxwell, Executive Director of the Illinois Farmers Market Association. Jonathan Pereira, Executive Director of Plant Chicago on the south side. Let's get into that question I asked during the break, which is there's a the building is called the plant uh, on the south side and it's all about sustainability and it and your plant chicago at one point you guys were together and now you're kind of separate can you explain what happened there uh sure uh, the plant chicago is a nonprofit that was associated and housed out of the plant for over eight years we worked a long time to support that project it got to a point last year really where um, the for-profit community there could could really sustain itself. Um, last November, we moved into a new location, um, a little bit more in line with uh, our current mission and values, um, which is to cultivate local circular systems and be much more um, embedded in the community where we're located. So our new home is a former firehouse just four blocks away, uh, across the street from Davis Square Park in kind of the heart of a uh, residential section of back the yards. We kind of uh, bridge the gap between the commercial corridor on Ashland and the residential section just west of that, the primary residential section of back of the yards. Um, and we're in, pro- in the process of repurposing that former firehouse to be a center for circular economy programming. So before the outbreak of COVID, we had already um, launched, um, uh, launched our school programs in a new space. We had a bright open event space. We had hosted the um, Midwest Urban Farmers Summit. 
and had started rebuilding um, some of our new aquaponic and uh, hydroponic systems in this farm. <clears throat> After, obviously, with outbreak of COVID, we don't have as many school programs. We don't have any school programs going on um, in the space, um, and many schools are still figuring out what they're actually doing yeah. um, on the first day of school. So we're, we're going along with the flow there. Um, but as a part of that space, the next big development project in it is to build out an indoor victory garden, a shared, shared use indoor growing space where um, a mixture of early stage entrepreneurs and hobbyists can learn how to grow indoors. So we actually provide them the infrastructure to be able to grow and learn indoors. Okay. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, Janie, as you can see, that's that's uh, a success story. As you mentioned earlier, there's and even though, uh, as Jonathan says, their their farmers market is is small. Uh, you, you said a lot of uh, farmers markets couldn't even ramp up this uh, year. Uh, here in Logan Square, where I live, uh, it opened in June, I believe. But but towards the end of June, I mean that's late into the season. Um, are these markets uh, going to be able to uh, survive this? Uh, and if they do, how much longer can they deal with this kind of a situation? Well, it's really been a challenging season. That's why one of the themes of National Farmers Market Week is that your farmers market manager is a local food hero. Because in many ways, many of these farmers market managers have had to create multiple markets this season. And for example, many of them are currently hybrid markets. So they're offering like like even the plant, you know, we're talking about multiple types of opportunities for people to buy or purchase uh, locally grown food. Mm -hmm. So it has required a lot of these particular um, farmers market managers. And then it's required a lot of resilience from our farmers uh, trying to find ways to potentially market their product uh, at, at the far- for sale at the farmers market, but then also off- offering, like we even heard Gary talk about, some enhanced options to deal with the overflow of what they can't quite move uh, during the market day. So maybe it's delivery. Uh, maybe it's online purchasing, you know, whatever the system may be. A number of farmers also report that although they may not have as many transactions per day, people are buying more so that it's not a recreational trip to the farmer's market to pick up a cup of coffee and a Mm -hmm. sweet roll and a two ears of corn. It's I'm going to buy my food for the week because I believe strongly in the safety of the food that's at the farmer's market. I believe in its health benefits, its nutrition, and I really want to support my local producer. And so you're finding much higher sales per person, even if you're finding fewer sales uh, overall. I'm thinking these are the serious shoppers. And and I... You know, this yeah. is what we did last week when we went to the store, uh, to the farmer's market. They, they advise you to go online, take a look at what's going to be offered. We did that. We did our homework. We were ready to go. We knew where the booths we want, uh, were that we wanted to visit. We went to those booths. We got our stuff and got out. It was 95 degrees, so it was a little nasty with the mask on. Yeah. Um, but um, I think a, a lot of people are like that. And you just brought up something, Janie that um, I almost lost track of, which is it's National Farmers Market Week. Yes. (laughs) So what are you going to do to celebrate National Farmers Markets in the midst of a pandemic? Well, I think in National Farmers Market Week, you always call out the value of farmers markets, and that hasn't changed. We believe strongly in the nutritional value, 
the value of supporting local business, the value of the processes that our producers use to bring food to market. I mean, all of those benefits are there. But we really want to call out that the people that have made these markets happen are really local food heroes. And that these markets have not happened by accident. They take a lot of work. Um, many times even um, you'll find in, in the city of Chicago, but also outside of the city, that they're dealing with multiple regulating agencies. And now with everything shifting and changing, they're having to deal with those regulating agencies on an ongoing basis. They're dealing with some of the social climate cha- um, challenges as well. And so it's really been a season where we want to celebrate the fact that we have markets. We want to celebrate that they're essential, they're important food access points for everyone, and that they are safe. Just shopping outside in a relatively large space with good air circulation, likely purchasing product that has been touched by far fewer hands than you would find through the traditional food system, uh, we're going to celebrate all those factors and call those out more significantly this week. Uh, you know, uh, Gary Fair, who we had on for a little bit from Lincoln, Nebraska, he and I were talking the other day, and he said he really likes the no touching the food uh, <laughs> Because I have he, heard that from a lot of vendors as I'll well. Bet. Well, is it yes. possible that that's something that's going to stick around? He said that he used to have this guy come in, and he would touch every single jalapeno pepper and then pick out what he thought the perfect right. one was. And that guy can't do that anymore. Yeah. Really or or not take any of them. Right, exactly. Just touch them and then just leave them there. So it, it sounds to me like maybe some of these uh, rules will stick around. Uh, what do you think, Jamie? I don't know if they'll stick around because we also have to talk about the convenience, especially when we have large volume producers that need to move a lot of product. And the consumer is a help in getting that product purchased and out the door uh, at the farmer's market. But I really think that some of the enhanced food safety, I think it's great that people are being far more aware of what they touch, Mm -hmm. uh, only touching what they've purchased. I mean, all of those kinds of things uh, really do add food safety enhancement to our markets. And I, and I hope those things stay. I think those are great. And I think also the value of the foods there, I think that's what we're seeing the resurgence in people really appreciating their their farmer producers, really appreciating the fact that our local food system really has stood instead when our traditional food system had a few gaps and hiccups uh, along the way during COVID-19. Yeah. You can't get a Clawson pickle to save your life. Okay. I have just tried and tried and tried, but that's, that's, that's my little uh, obsession. Um, But you know, in the old days we used to say, you break it, you bought it. Now we say, you touch it, you bought it. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So Jonathan, That's all yours, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan, had you had to, uh, with this, you're a smaller market. Did oh, your yeah. market become even smaller uh, due to COVID? Did you have to turn people away? Uh, no, we haven't been turning people away. But so we did relaunch in a new location. And so as we were talking about before, our former location in the plant, we used to draw three to 600 people per market um and really pack pack the spaces um this new market a new location um we expected smaller audiences but also with the outbreak of covid even smaller in some ways we were deliberately 
just, um, you know, our previous model would draw many people in from around the city and a lot of the money would get back to local vendors. Mm-hmm. So this new model really is meant to get local food out to much more so to get out to, to the neighborhood around us. So in many ways, it is much more targeted. And as Janie mentioned, people who come and want to shop. In the city, uh, in previous, we definitely had, when we had, when you had performances and prepared food, people would come and just, it was a social atmosphere, is a convening space. And that's, that's always been a, a, I think, a great power of farmers markets, but it also distracts from the, this idea of like, we're getting, we want to get local food out to people as possible. Yeah. Um, in the city of Chicago, D-Case will not approve any market to have prepared foods or cultural um things going on so it is really now it's about the food you can't get a you can't get <laughs> a license a to do a market no no you come and you shop so there aren't there aren't the people that are you know coming in with with the coffee and and, and, and uh, however the grass. <laughs> however and we have like 30 seconds Janie. that was always one of the attractions of a farmer's market is the social aspect of it Sure. We believe strongly in the community of farmers markets. I think it's really, really key to make sure that community uh, is called out. You know, you get far more social interactions at a farmer's market. People love seeing their neighbors, sharing stories, Mm -hmm. all of that. That's great. But hopefully also we really learn to value the food because that's what it became about in COVID-19. It was about the food and food access uh, for all of our communities, whether it's a um, somebody that uses their link card or whether somebody is able to pay um, for you know with with cash okay. or credit, whatever thank the case. You, thank be. you, Janie. We got to go. Thank you, Janie Maxwell, Jonathan Pereira. You can get back to the kids. Uh, Peggy and I will be back right after this. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. Joe's Blues brings Michigan's sweetest naturally grown pesticide-free blueberries to Chicago with 12 CSA drop-off sites in the area or get them at Chicago farmer's markets. Joe's Blues also sells zero and low-sugar blueberry preserves, pure-dried berries, 35% cream ice cream, moisturizing soap, and more. Sign up now for safe social distancing you-pick events this year. Go to joesblueberries.com or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at mikenovak.net. COVID-19 messed with a lot of things this year, but the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Award still wants to see your garden. SEGA announces the 60-second garden video challenge. Take your cell phone or camera out to your yard and show us in one creative minute why your garden is special. SEGA will post the videos on their YouTube page where viewers can vote for their favorite gardens. And yes, there will be prizes. Go to chicagogardeningawards.org or click the logo at mikenovak.net. Climate experts agree. When listening to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, there's a 75% chance of Rick DeMaio. I think most of the Atlantic right now is about a degree and a half to two degrees above normal. Once we get into the end of August, early September, that sun will then be directly over about 10 degrees latitude and about 5 degrees latitude. So that part of the subtropics gets hit by direct sunlight early in the year and then late in the year. So that's when you begin to get not only the warm surface temperatures, but the warm literally down to about 100 to about 200, maybe even 300 meters. And when that occurs, that allows some of these storms to develop over a long period of time, and that's when you get the monster hurricane. And it's interesting to point out, this is the last thing we'll say on this, is that so far this season is about as active and as intense as it was back in 2005, and I think everybody remembers that year quite well. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, Sunday mornings from 9 to 11 Central on the Smart Talk Radio Network. Nobody likes me, everybody hates me, 
I have no idea. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Mlecky. Do you know how many songs I had to go through to find the version I really wanted? Uh, uh, guess I'll go eat worms. <laughs> you know how many people have recorded that song? Uh, how many? I don't know. I, I you know, if you, I did a search and just probably millions. I have no idea, but they're all over the used tubes. Uh, and, and now we'll have the jumping worms version. Uh, the what? There we go need to record a jumping worms version of that song by the way that i'm glad you brought that up uh somebody was asking me about that earlier this year in a either in a garden i think it was a garden talk before covid Mm -hmm. uh about jumping worms and if you're in the chicago area we have been invaded by the jumping worms um i i call them writhing worms they they do that more than jump but they're these worms that have sort of invaded uh, parts of the country. Um, I, I, I'm trying to remember what the origin. We talked to the guy, what, uh, uh, two years ago. Yeah, it was a long about, time ago. Yeah, uh, Illinois Extension guy. And he said, basically, they're here. And that's the way I treat it. Um, they're unfortunately not as good for your soil as uh, earthworms. But earthworms are not native either. We brought those over from... Uh, Europe and other parts of the world. Uh, the glaciers wiped out most of the worms in North America uh, back in the day, if you were around for the Ice Age. Um, and um, w- we repopulated uh, parts of the country. And, and even with earthworms, a number of years ago, I was reading about how they're having issues in Minnesota with duff being consumed and duff is the, the leaves and the other organic material that fall on the forest floor about that being consumed over consumed so, over consumed yeah. by earthworms so here's an advice if you're an angler which, <laughs> uh for you you fans of mike jackson don't throw your worms in the water when you're done uh and don't don't dump them out um get them out of there uh because uh they can cause issues you know maybe what we need to do is have the anglers go for the jumping worms and just use those for bait uh but one of the you know somebody said well you can put them in a plastic and 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 people tell you this and it's on the websites and extension says this you know if you find a jumping worm put it in plastic bag leave it in the sun which is a nice way to go isn't it um, but my feeling is, uh, oh gosh, you can't do that with every jumping worm you find. Um, they're all over my yard. And yeah, I think it was a New York times had an article in the last month or two that they're there too. In yeah. New York. They're going to be so everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. They, and they outcompete the other worms. Isn't that wonderful? It's just like, you know, emerald ash borer. We're going to go after your ash trees now. And, uh, yep. and spe- speaking of going after things, you and yeah. I, You've had some issues there. I've had some issues. I had some issues yesterday. I was uh, trying to put the show together yesterday and went out in the yard to, to do some watering and some observing. And what I observed were uh, chunks taken out of my tomatoes. <laughs> no. Yeah, I can't believe it. Uh, and we have so many tomatoes. Um, and a lot of them had uh, been attacked. Uh, you know, and usually it's uh, a little swipe a little i don't not even know if it's a bite 
or if it's just, uh, uh, you know, uh, a nip out of it. Um, and I uh, had to toss some. Uh, I'm, I kept some because I went online to, uh, to, to look at that. And um, there's, I've, I couldn't find a whole lot about, I, you know, what I, what I typed in is, is it safe to eat a tomato that has been uh, chopped on uh, or t- a bite taken out of by uh, a squirrel? And the, somebody had actually done some research on that and came to the conclusion, no, not really. You yeah, know. I think it's, most of what I've seen says, no, don't, because you don't know what disease it might have the animal might oh no see, the one i'm talking about said no go ahead eat them okay because i've seen ones that say no don't um uh, well you know this woman uh did it because just kind of to spite her partner and because uh, <laughs> well, there's another reason <laughs> was saying no you got to throw those away and so she started doing oh dear started doing some research on it and she couldn't find anything really uh scientific data that indicated that it was particularly harmful. I suppose uh, if you cook it into sauce, there's less. Oh, of that, and that's one of the things uh, some people, oh, you got to get it to 174 degrees uh, and before you can do anything. And she just, she just ate the tomatoes raw and nothing bad happened. And she came to the, and apparently squirrels rarely have rabies. Um, that's just not one of the things that is a, a, an issue. Um, and, and I'm trying to, think what else might be a problem now it's not always squirrels it could have been raccoons and basically the rule of thumb is if the damage is done during the day it's squirrels if it's done at night it might be raccoons Mm because you know uh squirrels are not nocturnal so all i know is i was not happy i was not a happy camper so there's a new rule of thumb in my yard which I think you already have, which is I get a little tiny blush of color on that tomato. It's coming off the vine. It's It's mine in the house. It goes, here you go. Let it ripen indoors because it's going to taste just about as good. There's nothing I can do. I mean, I'm not, my tomato plants are not wide out in the opens where squirrels are going to be, you know, feel threatened. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got trees in the yard. They just, they, (laughs) they just hang down and grab whatever they want. So and and I have my wonderful little chipmunk friends. And what have yeah. your chipmunk friends done for you lately? Um, let's see. I, I an entire plant in a pot disappeared the other morning. Stepped outside, it was gone. Just a big what? hole. I mean, it oh. wasn't even left at the side. It was just gone. A little herb, an herb plant. I'm like, <laughs> what? What? It's not even there. They're not even supposed to like herbs, are they? No, they want whatever's in the pot under stuff. They don't eat the pot. They don't usually they eat just plants. They herbs. go digging for the seed or whatever they're smelling in the root that's food. So yeah, I I have never seen such aggressive uh, chipmunks as as you have in your yard. <laughs> they put they put squirrels to shame. Yeah, it's they're amazing. They're um, and I saw somebody post on Facebook the other day. Oh, I saw my first chipmunk, and I thought. I'll bring you a whole box full of them. You want them? <laughs> you could do that. You know, you could have the uh, relocation program for uh, chipmunks and t- ship them off to other people's yards. It's like when I, I find a grub and I and I saw something in the, <laughs> in the Morton Arboretum uh, plant healthcare letter about grubs. By the way, folks, if you find a grub in your lawn, you do not have a grub problem. You have a grub. 
There's a big difference, okay? Yes. Stop get, grabbing those chemicals the minute your lawn goes brown and, and do grubs. And what I do is when I find a grub in my lawn, I toss it into my neighbor's yard. Uh, and it takes care it, of the problem. Is that kind of like a milkweed bomb? Same thing? <laughs> like at the end of the season, <laughs> take, take the milkweed bombs and fossils and the... And the put, a, put a grub on it, throw the whole thing over there. Yeah, and a, and a jumping worm. Okay, that's uh, all we got for this hour. <laughs> The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking uh, community gardens and urban farms in the next hour. We hope you stick around on the network. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat. Make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make Welcome back on the program, and that is the perfect song for our show today because in the first hour, uh, we were talking about buying and selling food. In the second hour, we're talking about growing food and also selling and buying food, but mostly about the growing of the food, uh, particularly in the city of Chicago. Um, we're very pleased to have with us Sean Ruane, who's executive director of Advocates for Urban Agriculture. We also have uh, a couple of gardeners from the city, uh, Makazin Alexander, who is with Earl's Garden May's Kitchen Community Garden. Uh, in the Englewood neighborhood of Chicago. And we have uh, Gina Jamison, uh, the founder of Kaumba Treyam Community Garden. Did I come close to pronouncing oh, that's that? Pro- You're doing great, Mike. That's absolutely correct. <laughs> and we know uh, both of these uh, people. Well, Gina worked with us last year on Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards. Uh, you get a ding for that. Thank you. <laughs> for your help. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have to take this moment to remind folks that the 60-second garden video challenge is still going on. Uh, we are going to be announcing our July winners for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you do is you take your camera, your phone, go out to your yard, do uh, describe your garden in 60 seconds. And some people have been very creative about it. Uh, and you can go to the YouTube page, just type in Chicago Excellence uh, in gardening awards on YouTube and it'll take you to the page and you can see all those videos that have been put up already and vote for the ones you like. You can vote more than once and uh, vote for the ones you think are really good. And um, as I said, there's some really fun stuff and we're just, we just got a a lovely little uh, piece on WTTW this week. So that was fun uh, in in their newsfeed, not, not Mm -hmm. on air. And, uh, and, and more and more people are are finding out about this. So uh, take advantage. You can live anywhere in the world. We, we would love to see gardens from wherever you are. Um, you got till September 30th. We're going to be uh, doing some giveaways for local people as well. MWRD donated some rain barrels again this year, which will be a random drawing. And we've got some other prizes for, for people I believe, coming I believe up. from uh, City Grange as City well. City Grange uh, as well uh, for people who are entering. Yep. Gift certificates. So, and by the way, speaking of Chicago Excellence and Gardening Awards, uh, uh, Makazin's uh, garden won an award last year. So uh, yes. 
Thank you. Yeah, congratulations. Hey. That's Mike, Mike, my interrupt. Yes, thank you. Gina, I like what to was that? I like to interrupt because I won the Excellence Award of 2018. Well, I'm Community Garden, so you make a note of that. Okay. You, you guys both need to enter this year, too. <laughs> Sounds I good. Saw, I saw your uh, article and I said, wow. And it's I really appreciate that it's just not for the Chicago, that it's worldwide. So that was really, really amazing to read that. That, that yeah, was amazing. We're, we're setting ourselves up for pain, I believe. By just, <laughs> we opened it up to the entire visible universe, mm-hmm. uh, but, but people just on this planet, actually, not Jupiter and Saturn. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, we, we, we figured, you know what, uh, on the internet, the internet really has no boundaries. So we thought gardeners everywhere, mm-hmm. come on and, and mm-hmm. send us a video. We haven't gotten one outside of Illinois yet. I don't think, but, uh, we'll we're, see. we're yeah. working on it. Yeah. So, uh, congratulations to everybody. That's all the time we have. Good night, everybody. <laughs> right. Oh uh, yeah. We, Commu- wait a minute. Community gardens. Wait a second. <laughs> yeah, community garden. Well, and that's, see, isn't that's the thing about, and that's actually a great jumping off point for this conversation is community gardens and the pride people have in their neighborhoods and the pride people have in, in growing things and helping people grow things and, and providing food uh, for neighborhoods and empowerment of those neighborhoods. So it was a little bit uh, disconcerting at the beginning of the year, at February 2nd, actually, mm-hmm. when um, the city of Chicago uh, announced, actually the Department of Water Management uh, released a, released an updated hydrogen, boy, I can't talk, uh, hydrant, hydrant permit policy, okay? So um, it's, this was unexpected and as i wrote in my blog piece um and i i'm I'm sure some people could accuse me of using hyperbole um this was kind of draconian so i'm going to have you sean start with what happened what did you find out on february 1st and how did this affect community gardeners uh in chicago yeah thanks mike um so yeah, that that new that new policy that was established in February, there were a couple of key changes that resulted from it. The first piece was um, the requirement that every community garden or urban farm that was going to be accessing water from a hydrant had to install, acquire, and install an RPZ or a reduced pressure zone valve. Um, these are considered, um, you know, a, a an effective device for pre- preventing backflow contamination into the water supply. So they're, you know, they're a very helpful device in terms of making, you know, ensuring the security of our, of our water safety. Um, But they come at a high cost, especially in the first year when you're trying to install them. And because this policy was implemented kind of with no conversation or consultation with Chicago's community garden or urban farm, uh, you know, network, we were totally thrown off guard by it. And now, you know, as a result of that, um, small community gardens, you know, urban farms are expected to cover a cost of somewhere between $1,800 all the way up to potentially over $3,000 just wow. to access the hydrant. That's not even talking about the water rate that yeah. just, just, just to access the hydrant in itself because of the cost of the RPZ unit, the hydrant cap and key other costs that come that are associated with, with accessing Is water. that annually or is that a one-time? So there are some annual costs associated with that, but the, the bulk of that cost is just in year one. Um, right. So, 
So that cost gets reduced pretty significantly in year two, year three, once you get that RPZ unit uh, acquired and installed. So that was one piece of it. There were also some other things. Um, the application process got a bit more complex. Mm -hmm. At one point, they were requiring gardens to be a 501c3 nonprofit, mm -hmm. which many, many community gardens are not and have no interest in being a nonprofit. Um, right. And then there were some discrepancies in terms of the zoning policy with the water policy that just didn't like the, the city's policy was contradicting itself. Um, so that was, that was kind of, um, the main, the main bullet points of, uh, the updates that were made with that original policy that was implemented in February. Those are pretty big bullet points. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, I'll get back to the, the lack of transparency and the lack of communication with the urban ag community in Chicago, but I want to go to, uh, make uh, and, uh, and because you're quoted in the Sun Times piece, and you can find all this information on my website, mikenovak.net. Um, but uh, you had some surprises when you went to fill out the application. Tell us of your story, Makazin. So, our garden, Earl's Garden Maze Kitchen, is in actually, I'd say, like year four. Uh, the previous two years, we went online uh, and we applied for a permit. And, you know, you, we went through the steps, the process, and then we were, you know, granted a permit for um, really up to a year. Like we would apply sometime in February or March and ask for access from, say, April, you know, the growing season for us from April to about October. Um, and so I went online this year and I applied and I got rejected. Then I applied again and mm -hmm. I got rejected. And so third time, I was like, okay, so what is really going on? So I called someone in the city. I actually called the contact person that I worked with last year because last year they had changed it where you need to apply, but you need to put all this information on a letterhead of your organization. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I thought, well, maybe you know something else had changed that I wasn't made aware of. So let me call. So I called and I found out um, that I was being denied because I didn't have an RPZ. And I said, well, what is an RPZ? So no one could tell me initially what the device was, how much the device cost. When we start calling around for the device outside of the city, we found out then that there are certain sizes of RPZs. So there was no information about the device where we could actually find out initially what it was going to cost, what size we needed. And then we were told we had to have a city inspector to come out with a certified plumber who would initially approve and test the RPZ. And once that was approved by the city person, then we could move forward and begin to use the fire hydrant. But there was no information as to, you know, I, I do understand that the city cannot recommend any one source, but they could could have really offered some sort of, well, here's a list of recommended people or a list of, yeah. you know, vendors you could actually go to. Approved and vendors or something. Like, right. And also give us like a, some sort of cost of what we were looking, um, expecting to spend. So none of that information was given to us up front. Um, and so after the third rejection, it, it just got to be, well, what is really going on and how do we really proceed? And, you know, and that's when we started working with um, AUA. Yeah. Um, it, it sounds like a logistical nightmare 
Um, and, and as I mentioned before, there's, there was not only, it sounds like there was not only a lack of transparency, but a lack of, um, of, uh, logistical setup on the part of the city where they were not prepared to deal with all the questions and, and all, how many, uh, Sean, we're going to have to break here. How many community gardens are there in Chicago? Uh, well, I was, you know, we're probably not accounting for all of them, but on the Chicago Urban Agriculture Mapping Project, um, there's over 800 sites that are accounted for. I think right. that there are easily probably over a thousand community gardens in the city, whether that's a school garden or a kind of a broader community right. garden. We, we need to break here. We'll have more on this conversation, Chicago's War on Community Gardens, when we come back. We continue to live in interesting and challenging times. As we've learned over the past few months, something as important as tree care can be made much more difficult by unexpected events like the COVID-19 pandemic. Bartlett Tree Experts understands that and has made safety their number one consideration. But that's not surprising because safety has always been their number one concern and will continue to be their concern as we move into the next phase of this crisis. Something else we've learned over this time is that people love their trees and from a safe distance have been eager to talk to Bartlett Arborist representatives, whether from the safety of their porch or through a window or over the phone. They also know that Bartlett can make outside areas safer from ticks, which are having a banner year thanks to a mild winter. Bottom line, the folks at Bartlett Tree Experts want to say thank you to their customers for loving their trees and understanding that every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. You can reduce your household garbage 30% by the simple act of composting. But I live in a condo or an apartment, you say. Well, if you're in the Chicago area, contact Collective Resource Compost. They give you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote if you're working with your community. You fill it with food scraps, they swap it out on a regular schedule, and voila! You're returning organic matter back to the soil instead of creating harmful methane in a landfill. Go to collectiveresource.us. They make composting easy. The folks at Blazing Star know that good soil biology means good soil. That's why they sell products from trusted industry leader Tinyo that contain more than 30 species of beneficial bacteria and fungi chosen for their critical roles in soil and plant health. In other words, whether you're a farmer or a backyard gardener, they help you grow the life in your soil so your soil can grow your plants. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. Since 2001, DiveHeart has been revolutionizing rehabilitation using zero gravity and scuba therapy to give confidence, independence, self-esteem, and yes, freedom to children, veterans, and others with disabilities. At DiveHeart, we believe in the power of partnership because together we can do great things. Let DiveHeart help you imagine the possibilities in your life. Go to DiveHeart.org to learn more. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. If you're looking for something to literally spice up a meal, look no further than Backyard Patch Herbs. They grow, harvest, dry, and blend their herb mixes. And they're chemical-free. No gluten, no salt, and no preservatives. Dips, dressings, rubs, cooking mixes, soup mixes, herbal teas, and more. Use the code MIKE10 and get 10% off your purchase. Go to BackyardPatch.com or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at MikeNovak.net. About to show y'all what being a real gangster's all about, you feel me? I don't rely on no food stamps, cause every season I'm harvesting some new plants. It got me feeling like gardening is gangster.
gangster. God in this gangster. Yeah. I can't trust my own government. So I got off my hamster wheel and know that. On the show today, we, uh, we have Sean Ruane, the executive director of Advocates for Urban Agriculture. We have Gina Jameson uh, from Kuumba Treyam Community Garden and uh, Mekazin Alexander from Earl's Garden Maze Kitchen uh, on the south side of Chicago. Uh, we're telling gardening stories because it has suddenly become very difficult to get water in the city of Chicago because the city instituted some new rules. We talked about that uh, earlier. We will go back into that, but I'm going to get over to Gina Jamison uh, and tell us about the experience in your garden this year uh, with regard to finding water. Well, let me just say, I have been trying to acquire the hydrant access for several years. Hmm. To my frustration, I've given up. I applied uh, let's say in 2013, uh, the application, when I went to the alderman's office, who was Alderman Fioretti at that time, they couldn't find my application. So I reapplied, never received a response from that. So the following year, and during that time, it was correct, you had to be a 501c3. I had a 501c3. That's why I felt that I was eligible. So then the next year, I applied through an organization. And it just was some kind of, we lost a drop in communica- communication. Then the, another year, which I think was two years ago, we were told that we'd have to get the key on assignment from our alderman's office. We had to sign up to use the key so it would be sign in, sign out. Totally frustrated. So I just totally gave up. Now, seeing that the AUA has stepped in, it's just like so magnificent. My prayers have been answered because the access that I have for water is rain barrels. And just as Matheson has said, to rely on the water in Chicago, I also have access to the landlord graciously has let us use his water. Um, now we've going to find that we found out that there's a water there's water seepage into the building. So now that's going to be have to be canceled. Now we're going to have to totally rely on rain barrels. And that is hard work. Just as Makerson said, even with the hydrant that we would graciously will probably get, it would be a 200 foot hose that we would have to connect. But whatever it takes for that to happen, we're just so ready because it's just so we can't work without water. You know, our gardens will not flourish, you know, and it's it a, a, a pan, panmanian, you know, for us not to have our produce in our gardens to flourish. So, yeah, that's been uh, process. Uh, during the break, uh, Makazin uh, was talking about praying for rain, and that's not a strategy, really. That's uh, <laughs> that is workable. Uh, and she was also uh, dragging a hose from uh, from a house to their garden. We did that in my neighborhood in 2011. Uh, when hmm. we needed water, and it was my house was the one that was supplying the water to the community mm-hmm. garden, and it's five doors down from the garden, and so we put together three or four hoses, and mm-hmm. and you'd have to coil them and run them out to the uh, garden and uh, either fill up the rain barrels or <laughs> uh, just water with it, and um, it's not, you know, a, that's what one of the ways people get by. Somebody says, okay, I'll suck it up. I'll pay extra on my water bill so that we can keep this community garden going. Um, so, Sean, uh, I'm, I imagine you've gotten an earful from 
uh, commu <laughs> community and uh, gardens and urban farms this year as this process has gone forward. You said you'd, you'd met with the city repeatedly um, and managed to get some of the rules changed. Uh, for instance, now every garden doesn't need to be a 501c3, which is just a nutty, nutty thing anyway, because most of these gardens are ad hoc. They're people mm -hmm. in the community. They get together. They decide to do something good for the community. That's what happened in our neighborhood. We chased the gangbangers out because we put a community garden in mm -hmm. the, on the corner lot. And that happens a lot in the city of Chicago. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, that that got you going. But you've also reached out and, and are trying to help people with this, aren't you, Sean? Yeah. So we've been hearing about this issue from growers since early March. Um, it, it's now at the point now where we've heard from dozens and dozens and dozens of folks who are either gardeners or farmers around the city doing this work. And so, yeah, over the last couple of months, we've worked with a coalition of all of those growers as well as other food system organizations. And, you know, we're able to meet with the city a number of times and get a few of those, uh, a few of the, the policy um, shifts made that we were looking for. So now water, uh, the water rate is more accessible for both urban farms and community gardens. The nonprofit requirement is no longer there. Um, they're only requiring the certification of the RPZ valve once a year, as opposed to twice a year. Um, so things it's like that. It's still a fee. It's still a fee. Correct. Um, but it's still it, a lot of, it's that, that's still a lot of money for an ad hoc organization. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, we are, you know, we're happy about some of the changes that were made, but ultimately when we got the new updated policy back from the city, we reached out to every person that we had heard from to say, does this work for you? Uh, is this actually something that you can use? Is this actually affordable, accessible? And the vast majority of people said, no, um, this well, is well, part and partly because the system is still so Byzantine, yeah. uh, that it's impossible to navigate and, that's that's what I've been reading and hearing about is that uh, you fill out the form and you still don't get any action on it. And people have mm -hmm. been waiting weeks and weeks for the city to do something and then they don't do it. Yeah, we, we put together a grower's guide to help growers navigate the new policy. Mm -hmm. um, you can find that on our website. And yeah. we honestly put that together as well as like an exercise for us to try to understand all of the different steps. It's a four four page document. Yeah. But you've got um, all the links in there of where people need to click to get this and this. I love the fact you had all the images of this is what the valve looks like. This is this, yeah. this is that. It's really helpful. Yeah. And we've got the link on my uh, website, MikeNovak.net, in the blog post. But let's have Kayla post a link just to that uh, that PDF. Uh, the P yeah the PDF on that and so people who who want that information can get it readily let's let's get it out there okay we're going to need to break here when, when we come back I want to the one thing we haven't even brought up yet all of this happened during a pandemic <laughs> and the city has been really inflexible during a pandemic and you know what else we might talk about is the Department of the Environment how come we don't have one Crickets? Yet? Crickets? Yes. Where did oh, that go? Buddy, it's the Mike <laughs> Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We will be right back. 
Collective Resource Compost wants to show you how they make composting easy in Chicagoland. You can reduce greenhouse gas emissions by diverting food scraps from landfills. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Composting is what nature would do if we just got out of her way. Learn how easy it is to divert waste at your home, school, or workplace. Go to collectiveresource.us. COVID-19 messed with a lot of things this year, but the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards still wants to see your garden. SEGA announces the 60-second Garden Video Challenge. Take your cell phone or camera out to your yard and show us in one creative minute why your garden is special. SEGA will post the videos on their YouTube page where viewers can vote for the best. Yes, there will be prizes. Go to chicagogardeningawards.org or click the logo at mikenovak.net. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Killer asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work, and so am I. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Raven Gosplach, my favorite holiday dish. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. It seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. Aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener. I prefer my asparagus with a side of patach Mr. Wolf, are you joking? Actually, Captain, I believe he is choking. Listen to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki every Sunday morning from 9 to 11 a.m. on Smart Talk, WCGO, AM and FM. And if you're wondering why I'm playing that, what that is, is the Vegetable Orchestra. I found that on the used tubes um, a couple of years ago, and those are all vegetables. The instruments are made out of vegetables, ah. and they were playing uh, those instruments. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of cool. cool. It's like f- four minutes long. We're not going to hear all of it. but uh, We should put the link up um, Yeah, at I some to, point. Let me track that down. Uh, and and I bet if I typed it in, I could find it. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. We're talking to folks about gardening in Chicago and how hard it is because the city has decided to make it harder with uh, water restrictions. Um, first, as I mentioned be- while we were going out to the break, uh, this is in the midst of a pandemic. And we all know uh, how valuable it is to have your own grow your own vegetables have local food available uh make us in is is that something that benefits the people in your neighborhood oh absolutely um you know our garden actually started uh with uh the city's um purchased the vacant lot for a dollar so we purchased our lot for a dollar uh and we were actually one of the first um you know of many in inglewood because it was started by the organization called Residents Association of Greater Inglewood, RAGE. 
um, actually initiated the opportunity for people to purchase um, vacant lots in the city. And so Inglewood had about 5,000 um, vacant lots. And so we purchased one um, with the intention of feeding the community, teaching young people about gardening um, and hosting a, an array of events. And so um, it's really, it was, it's, it, it still is very vital for us to have a workable partnership with the city because we need to be able to water our garden, you know, take our food, share it with community, you know, and be able to teach, like I said, young people, uh, it's important. So water, it plays a big part in our sustainability. Um, so uh, moving forward, we're hoping that uh, we can get a policy that will work for most. I'm sure we won't be able to do it for all, but for most. And for a small community garden, it really becomes important, you know, that we have uh, water access and a good relationship with this city so that we can, you know, make those things happen. Well, we don't need to dis discourage people from growing things. We need to encourage them to grow mm -hmm. things. Uh, and this takes us back to why this happened, Sean, because this policy was announced out of the blue in February. You claim uh, that you were not notified in advance. The the uh, urban garden community was not notified. What the heck is the city of Chicago thinking? I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what bureaucrats got their hands on this to say, hey, I know a great way we can yeah. throw a spoke what, what, into the wheels of, of gardening. Let's just do this policy. What budget needed more money? Yeah, you got to wonder. It, 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 it kind of resembles. I know what you're talking about, the uh, the native plant thing where people, uh, the weed ordinance where people grow native plants in the yard and they get fined $600 or $1,200 mm -hmm. for that. Um, it's some That's some kind of money grab, too. Um, so d that must have surprised you. Uh, quite a, and, and here you are, Sean, walking into this as the new executive director of a AUA. Uh, it's not as if the city didn't know that your organization exists and other organizations exist. What, what's with the freelancing on the part of the city? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's really hard for me to know the answer to that. Um, I, you know, we've obviously had lots of conversations with them, and you know, what we've heard from them is that they were trying to create a policy that aligned more with the municipal code. Um, at the same time, it seems like there it is incredibly excessive the lengths that folks have to go to uh, to be able to access water. Just the amount of administrative work and the amount of barriers in place. Mm -hmm. um, I think a large part of it is due to the fact that right we see these stories about um, hydrants being um, inappropriately used around the city, um, and you know gardeners and farmers are lumped into that. As you know, and I think oftentimes the, the, the city, the Department of Water Management is, um, you know, uh, treating gardeners and farmers from a mentality of enforcement when really they should be, as you said earlier, they should be treating them from a mentality of we want to encourage these people. We want to support these people. We want to help make their job easier to be able to, to grow food for their communities. Um, and that's just not the case right now. Like one of the new requirements of this updated policy is that every organization that gets a hydrant permit has to enter into a legal agreement with the city of Chicago and their landowner if they're not the owner of the land and they have to hand over general liability insurance. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And it's kind of a complex legal agreement. That's so expensive. It kind, of, it kind of implies that you maybe have to take on some legal fees. Uh, 
you know, like we talked about earlier, the majority of gardens are small networks of people. They're not necessarily nonprofits. Um, to ask, ask of that uh, is just incredibly over the top. Um, and again, I think speaks to that mentality of enforcement yeah. rather than support. And, and Go ahead, Mikazin. I'm sorry. I was going to say absolutely. I mean, we are a just a, a, a partnership and we're just me and my husband and whoever in our community, you know, that's willing to work and volunteer with us. We don't have those kind of funds to be able to pay for RPZ, a plumber, insurance. I mean, and, and we have fruits and vegetables that are dying because we don't really have water unless we run it 200 feet from our home or again, you know, rely on rain. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. really become a big problem this year. And here we, and, 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 what uh, progress you've been able to make has is, is halfway through the summer now. A lot of gardeners probably just gave up because they couldn't access water and they couldn't uh, navigate the system. Um, and again, it bears repeating, this is in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. Where, where's the flexibility on the part of the city to say, you know what, those rules, yeah, maybe we need to look at them. Let's, let's go back to something a little simpler for now. Let's, and then we'll continue to talk, but no, that's not the way the city works. It's like, no, we got the rules uh, and uh, you got to abide by them. And so if you uh, decide that your, your community garden can't make it anymore, oh, well, you know, try something else. Sean, do you think some of this is because of a disconnect if it's on paper? Mm-hmm. Gee, what is this stuff on paper? And they don't actually realize, you know, there's that disconnect of community gardens, food, security, et cetera, versus how it looks on paper. Yeah, I can answer that. Gina, did you, were you going to say something? Well, I was just going, you know, to add to what Makerson uh, was saying. Um, the whole process of the Coomba Trail Arm Garden is to get the community to let's speak to each other, let's talk to each other, and let's get the, um, the environment of the corner in a bad position and let's remove that. And that's what our community garden has done. We don't have that issue on the corner anymore. Now we have the community right there on the block coming out. When we do have a block club, they come out now and they bring their grills out. They come Mm -hmm. and they participate. And that's the whole vision. Also educating our young people, you know, being connected with the school, with a catheter. Those students come, those elementary students come into the garden, Coomba Trey Garden, and they do the full education of the seedlings, seedlings growing, maintaining, harvesting, and then have a party. You know, that's the whole idea. And if we don't have water, for this to happen to grow that which which we have it's not going to work it's just gonna we're just gonna die and that's not what we want to do and to have to rely on rainwater and access to some kind of way of water it's 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 so frustrating it's and then with the pandemic we already stressed mm-hmm. now we've got yeah, this. everybody's stressed now you're everybody's adding already that. stressed and now we stressed about how are yeah. we going to eat and in Absolutely. the communities that have the community gardens are really food deserts. And then yeah. now you find with the pandemic, I am, people are more encouraged to try to start growing their own food. Now they want Absolutely. to see what the, you know, the grocery stores, you know, are not providing the best food. So now people are becoming more interested and that's, we don't want to lose that passion. You know, we yeah. don't want to lose that enthusiasm. And if we can't get rainwater for people to see what really happens when you grow a seed and the end result is the most magnificent feeling in the whole wide world. So let's, you know, everyone's ready, rip run, ready to go. So the city has really a responsibility to make their city better 
this is what we need to do. Community yeah. gardens is really a, a wonderful avenue. Yes, it is. And it and when you think about the way the city is responding now, it's it's remarkably tone deaf. They just don't get it. And, and it goes, <laughs> they don't. And it goes back to the dissolution of the Department of the Environment under Rahm Emanuel. Thank you, Rahm, for doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because that's where people would have gone in the past to navigate this sort of thing. And they, the Department of the Environment was very responsive. We still don't have it, Lori Lightfoot. You promised it in your mayoral <laughs> campaign. And I'm still waiting for a Department of the Environment. All right, we have a like. To your point, I'm sorry, Go I was going to say, Mike, Mike, to your point, you know, if we had the Department of Environment in place, we probably wouldn't be going through some of these issues because mm-hmm. I think someone would have actually taken the time to really think through the effects of this type of policy on community gardens and urban farms. Yeah. That's the point, is that you have those people, that's what they're there for, that mm-hmm. whole thing, and, and local food comes under that category uh we have about a minute sean uh yeah i was just yeah. gonna ask you, what's next what happens now you've got you've got a petition yeah. we need to mention that and we need to put that petition up i've got it on my website which is to get a change of policy right yeah we've got a petition out there um to get you know they've updated the policy but specifically highlighting the fact that this new legal agreement um is not doable for the majority of growers and so working you know wanting to make sure that the city understands that so uh please sign the petition help the city of chicago and the mayor's office to understand that like positive steps have been made but we need to continue improving this policy to peggy's point um you know i think we from the very beginning have been asking like listen we want gardeners and farmers to comply with municipal code but for 2020 we have to put things in place to get people water access immediately in the middle of a pandemic. They are essential operations. I got to let it go. All right. Thank you, Sean Ruay. Alexander. Thank you, Gina Jameson. We'll be right back with Rick DeMaio. Illinois has become a national leader in solar energy installation, and right now you can save 60 to 70% on installation costs. You want it for your home or business, but you don't know where to start. So give our friends at Albright Solar a call. Albright Solar offers a boutique, hands-on approach to your situation. They know the ins and outs of local solutions, and we've worked with them for a decade. They're good people, and they know their stuff. Go to albright.solar or call 773-887-6446. Welcome to Keep Eating Healthy. Joe's Blues brings Michigan's sweetest naturally grown pesticide-free blueberries to Chicago with 12 CSA drop-off sites in the area or get them at Chicago farmer's markets. Joe's Blues also sells zero and low-sugar blueberry preserves, pure-dried berries, 35% cream ice cream, moisturizing soap, and more. Sign up now for safe social distancing you-pick events this year. Go to joesblueberries.com or click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at mikenovak.net. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook and YouTube at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at Mike Now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike, at MikeNovak.net. We're also at TheGreenDivas.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on the Smart Talk Radio Network. Podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. Sign up to get our newsletter on the homepage and support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. Mosquitoes transmit deadly diseases like Zika and West Nile virus, but Summit Mosquito Dunks kill mosquitoes before they're old enough to bite. 
Just float an organic mosquito dunk in ponds, bird baths, and any standing water to kill mosquito larvae for 30 days or longer. Don't worry, mosquito dunks won't harm people, pets, fish, or wildlife. Mosquito dunks, available at fine garden centers, hardware stores, and online. Visit SummitResponsibleSolutions.com. What's the weather? It's sunny. What's the weather? It's rainy altogether. That's the weather. Sun, rain, wind, storm, hot, cold, cool, warm. What's the weather? It's cloudy. What's the weather? It's windy altogether. That's the weather. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. That is uh, the the weather song, and it's that guy that, uh, and I don't have his name in front of me. I can't believe I don't have that there, but he does those uh, children's songs that are a slight, slightly more sophisticated than the average children's songs. And so, that's Rick's new theme, right? Uh, I believe it is. It, we might be uh, using that for a while. Is that okay with you, Rick DeMaio? Hello? What's the weather? <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> and you can, and he sings really? it's the singing that's, weather that's guy. What's the weather? Yeah, All that's right. it. What's the weather? I don't know. I'll all play right. it once in a while. I'm not going to play it all the time, but uh, <laughs> that's one thing. That's a good hey, thing. <clears throat> we have an almost hurricane going on in Florida. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, we did have a hurricane, and it decided to uh, ramp back down to a tropical storm. But I think most everybody saw that coming. This thing never really had. Um, any sort of what you say perfect scenario uh, for it. Um, it was moving a lot over land masses, some mountainous regions of the Caribbean. Um, it had a really ragged uh, outflow from the word go. There was a lot of dry air on the front side of it, and it was moving into a high shear zone in the upper levels of the atmosphere. What it does have going for it um, is plentiful amount of warm water at the surface. Uh, I mean, 85, 86 degrees is about as warm as I've seen it this early in the Caribbean, particularly in the area of what they call the Florida Straits. Um, and, it, you know, it still may ramp up to a Cat 1. I mean, there's already some wind gusts as high as 65 miles an hour. All we need is another 8 or 9. You got yourself a hurricane. Uh, but even if it doesn't become a hurricane, this actually is, I think, the best way to look at it, Mike and Peg, as a dry run for what states like Florida and maybe Texas could see over the next two or three weeks. And it's not only how you handle a hurricane, but how do you handle, you know, hundreds and thousands and possibly millions of people uh, needing to evacuate into shelters run by the state uh, during the pandemic? I mean, those raises, that raises a lot of questions, yeah. doesn't it? And, and doing subsequent rescues as well. Yeah, and rescues, I mean, you're talking about um, at what point, you know, do you have to stress your, you know, state resources um, to the point where you have nothing left? And this is also after, Peg, we saw the last two years of, you know, widespread hurricane uh, damage and, as you pointed out, rescues as well. So um, if, if any of these governors think that they have it easy over the next three or four months, uh, they have another thing coming. And here we are already, you know, letter I, um, EC ACES is how you pronounce it. And a lot of people have had difficulty with that. Uh, I don't know what the letter J will be, but it was funny just kind of listening to a few people, 
you know, two or three days ago trying to say that, like, Isis, Isaiah, no, no, it's E C Asis. And um, this was yeah. one of those storms, believe it or not. I think it was E-C-A-S-S-S-S-S. three years ago. Yeah. What is that, Pig? I think it's Asis, even. Right. Um, and one of the, I think one of the letter I storms about three years ago, believe it or not, was going to be Isis. And when everything was happening globally with ISIS, they decided that was probably not a good name. So they yeah. changed that. Uh, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of things happen in the tropics. We do have another depression off the coast of Africa, which could become a tropical storm over the next couple of days. That does look like it has the potential to be one, but it's still too far away to make any sort of judgment on it. But nonetheless, once the current storm moves close to Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, um, you'll probably see, you know, 50, 60 mile per hour winds, two to four foot tidal surges, some heavy rain. But on the scale of one to 10, as far as it being an impact um, goes, with one being low and 10 being high, this will probably be about a one and a half to about a two. Yeah, I saw somebody on the television yesterday saying, ah, it's a cat one. We're not going to do anything. And, and then, you know, just a, a, a resident there, they, they were being asked uh, if they're going to take any precautions. Well, yeah, because. Yeah. Because they, they've been they've been through these so many times, and as long as you take the necessary things outside, inside, um, it's like how many times do you hear people in the Midwest going, "Oh my God, did you hear? We're under a tornado watch." I mean, we go through it just like they go through a cat one. So I think yeah. the the level of criticism that we may throw at people for dealing with the cat one in a, in a nonchalant way is the same way that we deal with tornado watches. We know that the chances of getting hit are small, and there's nothing to really do about it. Now, if you take a tornado warning, that's a totally different story from that standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so is this going to produce uh, a lot of rain as it moves up the coast? No, no, not at all. Matter of fact, uh, the fact that it's um, kind of hugging the coast, uh, the heaviest rain is probably going to be more so on the north and northeast side. Uh, the Outer Banks will probably get a lot of rain, but those areas actually need it. They've been somewhat dry over the last month. Um, and because it's going to move pretty quickly, once it gets caught up in that southwesterly flow, you know, it's going to be moving at about 15 to 20 miles an hour. So that's going to be it from that standpoint. Um, but what, what's amazing to me is driving through areas of northern Illinois and southern Wisconsin the last couple of days, I always say, Mike and Peg, that the first week and second week of August is my favorite because everything is blooming, whether it's the trees, whether it's the corn, the soybeans, the things that people planted. But most, most, uh, most of the time, this, this time of the year, uh, the perennials, and particularly the ones that are indigenous to Illinois, like the Queen Anne lace, I love that kind of stuff. And to see the different layers of purple and yellow and white, uh, there's, there's nothing better than this time of the year. Soak it up because we know that in two months it's October can, could be completely different by then. This is about as good as it gets. Yeah, I remember last uh, October's Halloween snowstorm. Yeah, uh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, oh, I don't we, don't want, want, I, we don't want to think about that. We don't no, want to think about no, no, that no, too no. soon. It was like but Halloween. Yeah, we finished got... up. Go, go on, Mike. I just say Halloween got canceled, but it wasn't COVID. It was a snowstorm. So that. There you go. There was a snowstorm, yeah, maybe a sign of things to come. But we finished up the month of July. I don't know if you guys talked about this. Um, 5.2 degrees above normal. That's the fourth warmest July on record. When you add in the, um, the 5 degrees above normal we had in the month of June, 
uh, so far the first two months of the summer, the first two-thirds, really, when you think about it that way, um, literally within the top five warmest of all time. Are we going to stay that way? No. It looks like the pattern becomes somewhat cooler, uh, particularly today. Uh, yesterday made it only into the lower set in the mid-70s. Today we may crack 80 degrees with a lot of sunshine that's coming through within now and the next hour or so, and that'll be with us up until about 3 or 4 o'clock before a weak front comes through, cools things down, brings us some rain late this afternoon, uh, and gives us kind of like a cloudy, kind of a wet pattern for tomorrow and Tuesday, and we stay somewhat below normal for the next seven days. So not only are we going to be below normal temperature-wise, but nothing will wave any hot weather probably through the first half of the month. And okay. I would easily say at this point that we'll be near normal for the rest of the month from here on out. All right. Thanks a lot, Rick. Uh, for everybody listening, go green or go home.